0: This morning we return to our consideration of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to his disciples. The appearance that was the first appearance in chapter 20 that was on the evening of the very night, of the very day in which he was raised from the dead. As we noted last week, there was the group that met there that were called the Twelve in Paul's statement about the post-resurrection appearances at 1 Corinthians 15. But actually there was only ten. Of course, Judas had defected and betrayed Jesus, went to his own place. And then at this particular appearance, Thomas also is not present. But on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the place where they were meeting being locked The fear of the Jews, Jesus came. Jesus appeared. Jesus stood among them. And Jesus spoke to them. Amidst their intense joy at beholding their Lord, at seeing the wounds in his hands and in his side, Jesus commissions them. He gives them a project, a work that they are suited for, they have been equipped for, he has trained them up to this point to do, and he's going to send them into the world to to effect this work. He tells them, being sent by the Father, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. We saw last week, that Jesus came into this world, being sent by the Father, to bear witness to the truth, he was sent to speak. He was sent to declare God's attributes in nature no man has seen God at any time the only son who is in the bosom of the father he has declared him he has shown him and so as Jesus was sent not only to speak but to show their sin to show God to show the reality that they've been with Jesus to show the reality and show forth the praises of the God who has called them out of darkness into marvelous light as Jesus was sent to serve I am among you as one who serves so they too are sent to serve As Jesus was sent to sacrifice, to go to the cross for the sins of his people, so we are sent to show selfless love, to die to self, to live for others, to live for the glory of God. If you have this world's goods, John says, and you see your brother in need, and you shut up your compassions against him, how does the love of God dwell within you? If Jesus said that we should be friends in the sense that we're willing to give up our lives for others, how much more are the things of this world were to be a people sent to sacrifice, were people sent to sympathize, sent to succor, sent to help, sent to uplift, sent to bless? This is a multi dimensional reality of the ways in which the disciples of Jesus carried out and carried on the work that the father had given him to do to do this work for the glory of the God of heaven to do this work for the good of those for whom he came to provide salvation all who come to believe on his name one might think this is a mighty tall order as the father has sent me so I am sending you how in the world was such a project be fulfilled. How in the world could such a mission be achieved by Galilean fishermen? Yes, they had been trained by the great and perfect teacher. He was their master, he was their Lord. He had seen they had seen his his work, they had beheld his word his example, they had heard his words. Yet to fulfill this work in the absence of their Lord required the other comforter, didn't it? required the other helper the paraclete whom Jesus had promised to send now this is a confusing passage I'll tell you that it's a reality I think for all of us we probably ask the question what's happening here they're getting the Holy Spirit before Pentecost I know Pentecost was the outpouring of the Spirit well you would be right the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit comes 50 years 50 days later comes at Pentecost. But here, now, in the upper room, in conjunction with Jesus' resurrection, in conjunction with this commission that our Lord does, uh, gives to them, He does something wholly unexpected, wholly wondrous. Verse 22 says, when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something not found in the other gospel accounts. This is unique to John. And again, it can be something quite confusing. It's something that demands some clarification. What is this about? And how does this fit in with the rest of the teaching of Scripture? Well, to attempt to put this action of Jesus into perspective, I want to say something, first of all, about what this is not. We'll do the negatives first. What this is not. Before attempting to take a stab at clarifying just what this is, what in fact is going on here. Let me say, first of all, negatively, this is not the new birth chapter 3 of John's Gospel, Jesus spoke of being born of the water and of the Spirit. He says, except you be born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. These disciples were born again. They were born anew. They were regenerate people of God. They were transformed by the inner workings of God's grace. To use the language of Ezekiel 36, they had their hearts of stone removed, and heart of flesh that was given. The law of God, to use the language of Jeremiah, was written internally within their hearts. Not just on tables of stone like it was in in Moses, but it was written in their hearts and upon their minds. These were believers. They followed Jesus. And not like Judas. They weren't thieves. They weren't in it for themselves they demonstrated the reality of their faith because they persevered to the end even when others were leaving they stayed and said, to whom else shall we go you only have the words of eternal life they're not about to abandon Jesus and even in his arrest and his crucifixion there was ample confusion but there was an ultimate apostasy they still hung in there If not so much understanding what was happening to Jesus, they still were with one another. They still said, we're going to figure this out in some way or fashion. What is God doing? We, We don't get it, but hey, we're not abandoning Jesus. We're not abandoning one another. Whatever this receiving of the Spirit is in the upper room, it's not the work of a new birth or a spiritual regeneration by the Spirit. And then it's clearly not Pentecost. It's clearly not Pentecost. Again, that happens 50 days later. And and, and that involves not 10 men. You read Luke chapter 2 and what do you find there? You find 120 men and women gathered together. Pentecost is something that, if it's not originally, it clearly soon becomes public. It becomes into the ears of people who hear them speaking in these foreign languages, the mighty, mighty works of God in their own tongues. And Peter can then stand up and explain, this is not what you think. These are not drunken men. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That was an outpouring. This is an in-breathing. Jesus breathes into them. Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out. The outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2 came from heaven. The inbreathing of Jesus into these disciples, these ten men came with his feet firmly planted upon the earth. So in all these ways, it's clearly a very different account. But it's not an alternate account. It's not John's version of Pentecost. I would hazard to guess John knew the Luke account of Pentecost of Acts two. There's no reason to think he didn't. And he's not presenting something inconsistent with that. There's no reason to think that both didn't happen. and Both involved these ten men. I think we sometimes, when we think of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we think of it as almost as if it was some sort of material thing. Like if I have a, this recording device in my hand, and I give it to you, then I don't have it and you do. And you have about all this recording device that's really designed for this recording device to give to you you don't get anything additional it's just a recording device we're speaking about the third person of the Holy Trinity we're speaking about the Holy Spirit of God we're speaking about an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable person and even though you can receive the Holy Spirit in one sense in one time, in one place that doesn't mean it's been given to you and you got all of it that you could ever get doesn't mean the Spirit doesn't make His appearances or the Spirit doesn't make His ministrations, His involvement with you, to be different at other times for other purposes, for other reasons. You read in the Old Testament about the Spirit coming as the Spirit of wisdom on builders of temples and tabernacles. And the Spirit gave those kinds of gifts to people to enable them to design, to construct the tabernacle and temple in accordance with God's design for it. And so the Holy Spirit does lots of things in the world. And we're not to conceive that because Pentecost happened, this event in the upper room did not. But clearly it is different. Why, is this, why does this happen? Why is there this giving of the Holy Spirit in this way to these ten apostles... Well I believe that there are probably two principal reasons. And the first reason is to mark them out, to mark them out as our Lord's immediate successors. I think the second thing is to mark just, not just them out, but mark Jesus out as the author of a new creation and these men as the beginning of the of a new creation. So, those two things, and I want to address those two things with you. So, I'm going to ask you to hang in with me. I'm going to ask you to think a little bit deeply, because this stuff is not immediately apparent. There's a lot some of this is new to me, so I assume it's going to be new to you. And that in the first place, is this the matter of Jesus marking out these ten men as his immediate successors. You know, in the Old Testament, we have a pattern of teaching in which prominent, spirit-filled People, instruments of God's will and purposes mark out their successors in given ways in which there is something of a transference of the Spirit that is in them upon them that enabled them to fulfill God's will and it gets transferred to them to other persons. It's a strange thing. But yet we see it more than once. We certainly see it in the event that happens in Numbers chapter 13 with respect, I'm sorry, Moses, uh, Numbers chapter 12 with respect to Moses. So please turn to Numbers chapter 12. An interesting passage, but it's not unparalleled. It, it happens here and we're going to see it happens in other places as well. Numbers chapter 12, we have. I'm sorry, I started out with 13. I then told you it was 12. We actually have to back to chapter 11. Chapter 11. Yeah, for the umpteenth time, uh, the people of Israel complaining about Moses, complaining about food, complaining about God's provision. They didn't like the manna. It was too dull. It was same old, same old. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to get the real good stuff they used to eat when they were in Egypt. And um, we read in verse 10 of chapter 12 that Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Everyone at the door of his tent and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. God was angry. Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? He's blaming God now for the attitudes and actions of the people. Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Moses is saying, Uncle, I give up. I've expended time and energy and commitment and effort and sacrifice upon leading this people. And again and again and again, they just complain. Moses says, Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse, carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat for all these people? Verse 14 I'm unable to carry this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And well might he have thought that. What does God do? Moses is making this complaint it's too great a burden, it's too difficult. People are vexing. Moses tells them to gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be elders of the people and offers us over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone and say to the people, consecrate for tomorrow and you'll eat meat and... um, Anyway, God's going to give them meat until it comes out their noses. But the point is that this is what occurs. That uh, verse 24, Moses went out told the people the words of Yahweh. He gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him, put it on the 70 elders, and as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Then there were two men in the tent, and the Eldad and the Medad. The Spirit rested on them too, and they prophesied. I think that's something of a parallel to what happens in John chapter 20. Jesus is leaving. These people have a mission. They have a work to do. And the Spirit that's upon Jesus, He breathes into these men. That they would have a special anointing of the Son of God, That would enable them to conduct this ministry that they will be doing. Which, interestingly enough, is not a ministry that's parallel to every believer. This is unique to the apostles. The apostles had a special ministry to do. It's this this, this community of, of believers that wrote the scriptures, the New Testament. It's apostolic teaching that comes to us in the New Testament. It was one of the marks of the books we accept as canonical. That we, church, deemed them to be apostolic because we put a, a premium upon apostolic authority and these are people that could write amazing scriptures that are can't be gates there's the truth of God that emanates through their words these are eyewitnesses of the resurrection no other generation of people could have written the New Testament but these men they were uniquely equipped uniquely blessed, uniquely trained uniquely enabled by Jesus who gives of, the, him, of his spirit to them the further this work they were called to do. Amazing signs that attest to the reality of their message. They were given to do. Again, it was apostles that needed to come down to Samaria where the gospel had been received, that the Holy Spirit would be given. It was a lay on the hands of the apostles. We're told that again and again and again. The things that were done by the hands of the apostles. It's not just ordinary believers. You and I can't do these things all the pretension of people to be apostles today they just don't have the qualifications to be apostles, they're not eyewitnesses of the resurrection these people were equipped as these elders were equipped by having something of Moses' spirit that's resting upon them you know what's parallel to Pentecost here it's not so much what God did in making these men in a sense Moses' successors They're carrying on the work. They're helping to bear the burden. They're taking up the mantle. We'll say that in a bit about Elijah and Elisha. But you have something that is parallel to the apostles, to Pentecost, in that these men, Eldad and Medad, were prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, in verse 28, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, My Lord, stop them. Now, they weren't there originally when the Spirit was given, to so stop them. They are getting the Spirit in some unauthorized way, he thinks. Then Moses said to him, Why are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord will put His Spirit on them. All the Lord's people would have the Spirit placed on them. That desire gets fulfilled at Pentecost. When all the people of God, all the church of God receives the Holy Spirit of God. That's a general outpouring of the Spirit. It's not just something that was given to ten men in an upper room. It's a general outpouring of the Spirit on all believers. have you know, something of a similar nature in chapter... I want to say 27. Yeah, there it is. It's in chapter 27 of Numbers. When Moses is about to die... God's telling him he's not entering into the land and then Moses spoke to the Lord in verse 15 of chapter 27 let the Lord the God of the spirits of all flesh appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of Yahweh may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd Lord I've been their shepherd I'm leaving I won't be here The people need a shepherd. I need a successor. I need someone that would be in my place. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Here's a man who's qualified. He has the Spirit in a unique way that others do not have. Probably he was part of the 70 elders, part of the 70 leaders who received the Spirit earlier on. Make him stand before Elieus and the priests and all the congregation. And you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority. See, something that's in you, Moses, needs to come upon him. He's your successor. He needs a measure of your spirit upon him. That was given in chapter 13. He needs a measure of your authority given to him. That's given to him here. And Moses did just as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua and made him stand before Elias and the priests of the whole congregation laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. There's something comparable to this that's happening in the upper room when Joshua is made to be the successor to Moses. One other example of this, of course, is the example of Elijah and Elisha. And that's found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. Turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. Verse 1 says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And three times we find Elijah Elijah saying to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But every time Elisha says, No, as the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. He's determined to go with him. He's not going to leave him. And then two of the three times that this happens, uh, you have others that say to Elisha, at the end of verse 3, do you know that today Yahweh will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. That's a repeating theme that happens. And then you have an incident where Elijah, in verse 8, he takes his cloak, he rolls it up, he strikes the water, and the water parted just like the Jordan parted when they entered into the land just like the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds parted and the people went out from Egypt so here the water parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them Elijah and Elisha could go over on dry ground and when they had crossed Elijah said to Elisha ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you and here's what Elisha says please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me Elisha, this great prophet, this great leader of the, of the prophetic movement in Israel, the school of the prophets, he's going to be leading and the successor needs to be appointed. Elisha is the successor. And what Elisha needs is the spirit of Elijah upon him. A double portion of your spirit to be upon me. And Elijah responds in verse ten, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by the world went into heaven, and Elisha saw it. Elisha saw it. And what's the result? Well, Elijah said, double portion of the Spirit, exactly what you desire will be upon you. And and then we see that he takes hold of his own clothes and tears them in pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. How had they crossed the Jordan before? It was Elijah's cloak. He took off and hit the waters with it, and it separated, and now that same cloak is taken up no longer in the hands of Elijah, but his successor, Elisha. And he takes the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. He struck the water. And when he had struck the water, the water parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. What happened? Very same miracle, the very same sign, the very same power that was Elijah was able to do. Now Elisha is able to do. And you know, I check this out. When you look at the ministry of Elijah from the book of First Kings, chapter 17, forward you find he did seven major signs, seven major miracles. You can check this out. Check out the life of Elisha. There's 14 of them. There's 14 of them. Double portion. Double portion of the Spirit. What I'm saying is there's a connection. There's a connection between the one who led the people, prophesied to the people, was influential as God's servant among the people, between him and the one who succeeded him, and what I'm suggesting is this is what is happening in the upper room. Jesus is passing the torque, the, the, the baton on to these men who now are going to run in the, with the work he's given them to do as he ascends to the right hand of the Majesty on high. These men were marked out as successors. These men in the upper room are marked out as the successors of our Lord Jesus. Bringing His work into the world as He ascends to the right hand of the Majesty on High equipped and clothed with the special anointing and power of the Holy Spirit that's given to them to do the special work that they alone are called to do. So it's not the same as Pentecost it's something different it's something that marks them out as being Jesus' immediate successors And then the second thing I'm going to suggest is it also marks out Jesus as well as these men because Jesus is the author of a new creation his work comes to be that of the bringing in of a new creation we saw it a couple weeks back when we saw how the book of John itself is structured that way in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what the original creation story tells us in Genesis 1 1. John 1 1, telling the story of a new creation, says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became, became flesh and dwelt among us. And then a series of days begin. Evening and morning, day one, evening and morning, day two. Jesus did this one day he did this the next day he did this the next day at least in my reckoning it's a day of resurrection that's the completion of the new creation week and Jesus ushers in a new creation in his resurrection life and through his resurrection power and now he stands in the midst of these disciples and he does a new creation act what's the description of the formation of man to become a living soul in the book of Genesis Genesis 2 and verse 7 it says now the Lord God formed man dust from the ground and then what did he do he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul Just as Adam stood at the head of all humanity, now these twelve apostles stand at the head of a new humanity. And Jesus does an act of creation. These men become his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus equips them with the power to do the work he's called them to do. To further this work of new creation life, through the preaching of the gospel of, so behold, if any man is in Christ behold a new creation all things pass away behold all things become new if we understand the gospel is that which brings about a new creation, a new humanity it's these apostles that stand at the head of it it's these apostles that comprise the very foundation stones of the church the church is, 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 is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself the chief cornerstone it's their names that are placed upon the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem in the vision of Revelation chapter 21. They take a central part in place in the effecting of a new creation in the world. And so this is unique. This is different. This is not like Pentecost. This is something that pertains to these apostles of our Lord Jesus being marked out as his successors. And his successors particularly... In the work of the proclamation of the gospel that ushers in a new creation through his death, burial and resurrection but if that's right and I'd be glad to entertain different, different arguments that you might have at least that's what I came up with this has some important things to say to us it has some important things to say to us about Jesus and it has some important things to say to us about his apostles first of all it has something to say to us about Jesus we see in Jesus the revelation of the trinitarian glory of God the God of creation is the same God who new creates and of course John assigns creation to him in John chapter 1 and him was life and the life was the light of men. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, all things were made through him. That's the language. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the word that brought creation into being. That's why Jesus, John uses the term word. He's not giving some philosophical notion of, of, a, of a word. Um, no, he's giving an Old Testament understanding of the word. The God who spoke worlds into beings, let there be light. And there was light. It's the same God who in Jesus Christ speaks again and says, Let there be spiritual light. Let there be life given. Let there be through the Word a new humanity forged by the power of a resurrected and glorified Jesus. Jesus is the source of all life. He's the source of spiritual life as well as physical life. He's the maker of all things, He's the recreator of all things. We see in him the glory of the eternal God. We see in him creation glory. We see in him new creation glory. He's the beginning and end. The source of everything and the end for which everything exists. The Alpha, the Omega. The beginning, the end. From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Jesus is involved in an act of creation that only God can do. But then this creation act of Jesus that only God can do, this creation act that reveals something of His glory, the glory of the triune God, also points us to the uniqueness of the Apostles and their ministry. For they alone were called by Jesus directly. They alone were trained by Jesus personally. They alone were commissioned by Jesus. They alone directly succeed Jesus. And the key thing, folks, is that there's no further succession. There's no need for an apostolic succession. There's no other group of church officers that come after the apostles. For these are those these are they who gave us the gospel. Jesus is going to go on to say, Blessed are you who have seen. And indeed they were blessed who have seen the resurrected Lord. And yet he says, Yet blessed are also are they who have not seen and yet believe. And our faith who believe today, and we're blessed to believe, is a faith that's believed through the apostolic word. We have the gospel because of these apostles proclaimed it in the world. We have the New Testament because from this apostolic community the New Testament was written. They gave us the design and plan for the church, its life, its ministry. All the materials we need, all the guidance we need, we have through the word that he's, they've given us. People that say, well, we need continuing apostles. We, we need our bishops to be the successors of the apostles. We need our gifted people to be the successors of the apostles. I really start changing what God's already done. Because at the best, what can you get today but a bunch of fallible, corrupt often but yet certainly changeable group of of men who are looking to supplant this unchanging group of apostolic officers, uniquely trained, uniquely guided, uniquely equipped, uniquely blessed with the inward ministry and working of the Spirit of God so they can bring infallible truth and certain truth, bring the things of Christ to their full remembrance, We have infallibility in the apostolic testimony, in the apostolic word. You don't go up against apostles in the Bible. It's easy to go up to the supposed apostles today. Because what they pump out is often the most ridiculous ideas and notions that were so contrary to the word of God. God's made full provision for his church. We have apostolic ministry among us and not because I've been elevated in the office of apostle but that we're subject to the apostolic counsel and teaching found to us for us in this book we have apostolic ministry in our midst every time we read the letters of Paul we have apostolic ministry in, in our church every time we read the gospels he breathed upon them in the upper room to receive the Holy Spirit for purposes and in ways that are simply be redundant to give the Spirit today they've already done the work that was needed for the founding and the establishment of the, of the church and you know another thing that needs to be said is that, that few group of, groups of people ever in the world have been given so much authority by God And used it so well. Use it as wisely as these apostolic representatives of Jesus. Paul can speak of the authority that God gave him. He says for building up and not tearing down. That's not natural in our world today. You give authority to people and they're going to misuse it. You give them power and they'll get corrupted by it. God's given us a group of apostolic representatives that Jesus chose, that Jesus trained, were eyewitnesses of the things he did and said. And he so gifted them, and he so provided for them, and he so protected protected them, that they would be able to take this authority and power. He placed in them and not misuse it. It's safe to be subject to apostolic authority we find in God's word. It's unsafe to be subject to that authority that people profess or want to usurp or claim for themselves. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. The divine authority that meets us in the writings of the apostles provide us with wisdom provides us with safety provides us with light and understanding we have a sufficient word from God in which we can rest in which we must never rest to our own destruction but ever find ourselves to be subject subject to so there's a great work they're called to do as the father sent me so send I you how Lord he equips them And of course there's the derived understanding that as they were sent by Jesus with those qualities and those graces and those commitments to be Christ-like all Christians are called to. And we're given the measure of the Spirit that will enable us to fulfill the work that God has given us to do. That's the general outpouring of the Spirit from Heaven that's common to all believers. That's what Pentecost is about. I do believe what we have here in the upper room is something different something unique something that's apostolic but yet something we greatly benefit from when we rightly understand the pivotal place that this unique ministry of these apostolic men placed in the purposes of God let's see Christ's glory and what he did in this act of new creation and let's see the goodness of our God in giving us these unique Universal church officers, we call apostles through whom we can receive so much good. May God be pleased to instruct us. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, we're thankful we can again spend time in your word and endeavor to trace out its teaching and have some clarity of understanding with what your word requires us to know and believe. Lord, we don't ever think we've come to say the final word about the meaning of Scripture, the proper interpretation of Scripture. But insofar as we've seen something in the Scriptures this morning that, is, is, that rings true, we pray you'd help us to receive it. You'd help us to understand it. You'd help us to profit from it. and to help us, And you'd help us to live in its light. So we ask you to look upon us with your grace and favor and answer our prayers as we come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was a Father's Day message. It was. I completely omitted the fact that it was from Jesus Himself that the Spirit proceeded. I I really should have made much of that. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Good morning. I'm not feeling great, oh, to tell you the truth. Good. What's that? So that's not good. No, no. I think I might be a little bit dehydrated. I just started to drink some water to feel a bit, bit, bit better. I'm wondering if I'm a little bit dehydrated. Oh. Not feeling great. oh Okay. <laughs> Heart seems strong. Just took took my pulse. My heart seems strong. My heart seems strong. Okay.
1: Are you okay? <laughs> I'm not feeling you great. You preached your heart out. Was that? I said you preached your heart out. I'm not feeling great. Well, yeah. that was a very good message. Oh, well, good. I appreciate it. Well, oh, thank you. you explained thank everything. you. I, I thought that was cool. Well. So I hope you're revived. <laughs> Are you doing anything? Are you seeing anybody for Father's Day today
0: or no? I don't think so.
1: Yeah.
0: Jenny gave us a gift of uh, the concert to see James Taylor. Oh, nice. So, that's uh, not this Thursday, but the following Thursday we'll be going up to Bethel Woods. You to have to sit
1: on bleachers or something, or you have to sit on the ground. No, know they have, no, she, yeah,
0: yeah. She she buys the seats. Good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I've never been up there, but I don't know at this
0: point. Yeah, we're in the amphitheater.
1: Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, that that's much better than
0: trying to sit on the ground oh yeah especially if it rains you have you know you have an overhang yeah we, we went there last year we saw Brandy Carlisle last year so I think this could be a yearly thing Jenny wants to do for us mm-hmm. so that's nice very nice good. Well, I hope it's good weather
1: and enjoy
0: it. oh thank you thank you.
1: Very close uh, uh, She was like, uh, so like, uh, like, uh, orchestra the uh, was so She was the one, yeah, She was first Rachel's not around or whatever Safe, say, uh, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. So she can get lessons from see ten she likes it that play It's a classical piece. Yeah. Well, yeah, one guy's playing, and another guy in, and another, and another and four of them playing. Yeah. It's great. Um, get a yeah. thing. I don't know what the that stuff is called. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, oh, what is that? I asked you you for the last I <laughs> so, uh, <purchase>. I do the purchase your option or something <laughs> 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 I would appreciate. I it out for like ten seconds. Yeah, but I was so listening to the switch I knew I was hearing. was like very Yeah. Yeah. I heard I heard today you cut it right off the other so, you had a wonderful time. We did. Yeah, it was a very unique experience. Yes, the grand old opry and then the classical. Yeah. 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 And uh, they, they get dressed up for that too, don't they? No, no. no. no they had the cowboy hats on Oh, yeah. the boots. Yeah, some of them yeah. t shirts the and a yeah, but some of them were. Well, wow, I met your brother uh, Oh, they dressed That's what I meant. Yeah, to the yeah the it's like. Munich, they get oh, dressed. Yeah, or Nashville. Yeah, they, and all I did is get loose. Yeah, they all had my all. Yeah, yeah, that's so so fun, right? So to me, I said to Tommy, says this is sort of like a country version of the October. Fest. Well, yeah, it was oh, a yeah. good. Yeah, bars and whatever. You yeah. yeah. know, for them to like to have fun and. Yeah. Me and I went to the Johnny <laughs> Cash Museum, I the Johnny Cash, the Paisley Klein Museum. Oh, yeah. So we really yeah. cleaned out things that we enjoyed. They did their big music bar yeah. thing, and then we had their dinners, and then we all oh, worked nice. nice. Yeah, got yeah. nice accommodations. Yeah. We did. We did stayed around. We didn't stay in downtown. Yeah. That was five hundred dollars on a night. So my brother had a glass Marriott. We stayed in those hotel in this room. Oh no. Oh no. No, 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 We stayed outdoors in the tourist airport. Yeah. I'm the Cambria Hotel. You it was very nice. We a restaurant. It was nice. We had an Uber we Good. It was downtown. We walked everything. We had a, yeah. um, <sighs> a different yes. I, um, I had colleagues that, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, just, we walked over the pedestrian bridge. We walked around, and you mm-hmm. know we mm-hmm. went into like mm-hmm. the Johnny Cash mm-hmm. stuff, just a bar and a grill or whatever the live musician is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had a little mm-hmm. diet Pepsi, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's the way it still has life the I Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, so ancient. It's like, 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 like Carla the with the absolute Uber. She's yes. always calling Uber hey, to go back and forth. To yeah, work. we did. Like, we did. We did. We did. Yeah, we did. We did. We Yeah. We saying. We We did. did. You did. 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 It did. as fast as ever about you. Um, Sunday, Tommy went to the Nashville Reformed Baptist Church. Steve Gable. No, it was Ben. Somebody, and the second guy was Tyler Ryan, Ryan or Ryan Tyler. But anyway, we met a few people. Um, I forget the husband's name, but the wife's name was Laura Jackson, and they said they lived and went to Trinity for ten years. Really here,
0: Laura Jackson.
1: Laura Jackson. Jackson. I forget her husband's name. And then we met another gentleman, and his last name was Gillard, I think, G-I-L-L-A-R-D, I think, and he said he also went to the academy. <laughs> yeah, not Gamble. Maybe it was Gamble. Steve Gamble. I don't know if Steve, younger, Steve younger, younger Gamble went to us, the so. academy. He was younger than oh, okay. us, so maybe that was, I wrote it down, but anyway, so there were quite okay. a few people that had gone through the academy in the 90s. They said it was oh, the early okay. 90s. And, yeah. And, and, yeah, interesting. they knew some of the names that I, you know, mentioned and yeah. stuff. You mentioned and my sister. I didn't. Okay. No, well, yeah. Al, they knew Al Martin. They were yeah. under you know. So, yeah, yeah. Boy, I, I guess we lost touch in those years. Yeah, and they didn't. meet in the gym in the Jonathan Edwards Christian Academy. Well, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Down there. Uh-huh. And, uh, they did not have the Trinity hymn No, they sang no. three. Mom, they sang "In Christ Alone," yeah. "Blessed Be the Name," and one other yeah. one. I think that's very what suspicious. <laughs>
0: I think that's heretical. <laughs>
1: Um, Listen, I was getting my toenails done the other day at the, uh, you know, know, whatever, and in the background they had this screen up with showing, you know, cherry blossoms and then lakes, And, and I thought, I know those songs the piano was playing, it was... Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. It was holy, holy, holy. It was how great Thou art, and amazing grace. And I, 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 said, I said to my, you know, my lady. I said, I know these songs. These are from church. I said, Do you go to church? And like, I don't know if she could understand English. <laughs> <close. laughs> <It was fun. laughs> on a small little group have a meeting in him of us school.